For almost 12 years, my next guest has grown a profitable book retailing business amidst a competitive environment that would have scared most investors away. Through perseverance, smart decisions, and a commitment to his people and brand, Booktopia now ships around 15,000 books every day, employs 100 people, and has an expected revenue of $90 million in 2015-16. I'm excited to share with you exactly what makes this Australian business leader tick. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Tony Nash. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be here. I've given our listeners a small taste of your business story here, Tony, but could you share with us a little bit more about the journey and some of the key leadership highlights you've had throughout your career? Look, the, um, the story started back in the mid-90s, actually. I, I had done a workshop with Robert Kiyosaki, the guy that wrote The Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, actually, I, I studied with him a, a few years before he had written that book, and I was inspired to set up my own business, which I did in the front room of my house in the uh, in the mid '90s, as I said, when the internet was just starting. And I was uh, I was in recruitment, so I set up an internet recruitment agency. And I'd actually have to go out and tell people what the internet was before I could even talk about my recruitment services. So I started just on my own, and then I started hiring people as a business crew. And in fact, I even uh, encouraged and enrolled my brother, my sister, and my brother-in-law to join me. So. We built that company up to about 35 people. I hadn't really had any um, leadership experience at all, quite frankly, and and it was obvious to me and probably to my employees that I hadn't. So what I did in the early days is I, I volunteered on some of the personal development courses that I had done to help out, perhaps in the support teams, and I'd have teams working for me, in, and I could practice leading. I could do it over a weekend, and and give clear commands and have clear goals. And I did a lot of that. And I started to learn the art of leading through volunteering in in that way. And that then helped me bring those skills back into my work environment and, and be a better leader. So we're now at Booktopia. We're in our fourth company. I'm still in business with my family, 17 years on. And we we do um, we've got 125 employees. So I guess uh, through many years of mistakes and successes, we I think we do a pretty good job. We've retained a lot of our staff over many many years. So I guess that uh, that launch into starting my own company without any skills whatsoever was uh, perhaps a little naive. But at the end of the day, I just kept focusing on and doing a better job every day. Tony, you can only really call yourself a leader when you have people following you. And, and you shared then that your family came on board quite early. Uh, so they were willing to follow you down your path. What do you think brought them on board so willingly? Well, the family or the staff or both? Uh, let's go with the family and then we'll go into the staff maybe. I think because the business was growing and my brother for example, ran his own uh, golf um, product business. And he would travel around the countryside, uh, New South Wales, Queensland, selling his products. And his he had a young family, and I, I was able to give him an opportunity to work within the business. He was a salesman, and he could continue doing selling, uh, but not have to be away from his family. So in his case, it was it was quite convenient. My brother-in-law was an IBM software engineer, and because I had previously, for a couple of years, been a programmer, although I was I was more um, uh, more drawn towards selling um, and to and to be a, a business person, I guess, 
that uh, he and I had this commonality of skill and we he came on board and we started writing software for the business and he he had also been doing pre and post sales work so he had a bit of sales skills as well so it just seemed like we had a we had a vehicle for all of us to potentially amass the wealth for the, our families that we were all looking for so i think there was a compelling uh, i had a compelling destination for them um also, I was in recruitment, so I guess I was pretty good at recruiting people. And uh, my sister came on because it just was the right timing in terms of her career, and she she was more of uh, the back office uh, operational kind of role. So uh, we were able to give her a role that perhaps may have given to someone else, but um, because she was part of the family, she got that, that opportunity based on her experience. You know, there's something we don't hear about too much in it, when we talk about leadership. We hear about many of the other characteristics and traits that we kind of expect. But you don't hear often that sometimes just setting out a, an achievable goal to somebody that someone actually wants to achieve and then giving them that vehicle to achieve that is sometimes enough to get them on board and, and, and to follow you. Indeed. I mean, that is quite frankly the reason I think why we've been successful and why we've been able to recruit people is by having clearly defined goals and knowing what you want to accomplish, uh, and they they can do that and they're empowered to do that, is, I think, uh, one of the, the lessons learned along the way, that um, you, you've got to be able to hand over to others. There was a time when Booktopia was growing, I think we're about four or five million turnover, maybe maybe more, and uh, there was another guy who had an online store, and we were we were good mates, and we would talk from time to time about how things were going. And probably by the time we spoke, we were we were perhaps two or three times bigger than him. But but we had I think twenty twenty five people working for us. And and I said, how are you going? And he said, oh, Tony, I, I've had eighteen angina attacks in the last two months. I said, mate, what are you doing? What's going on? He said, well, my wife and I are working eighteen hours a day, six days a week. And I said, how many people do you have working there? And he's got, he said, two casuals. Mm. And I said, why don't you hire more people? Why don't you bring bring them on so you don't have to work as hard? He said, yeah, but they ne- they don't do as good a job as we do. And I said, exactly. They're not going to, they're never going to do as good a job as you, but at least they're doing part of the work that you don't have to do. And that um, unwillingness to let go or being a perfectionist, I think, uh, you've got to you've got to be able to release. You cannot expect perfection because people will never do as good a job as you, of course. But at least they're doing part of the job, and if they can do it um, as good as they can, and it's up to you to create quality systems to support them to do a, a fine job, then that's a really key lesson. So, what was the tipping point for you when you had to? You know, you're in your front room. I think you said you were, and you've you're starting to employ people outside your family as well. What was that tipping point that said, I've got to employ someone? And how big a leap was that for you? Can you maybe tell us that story? I think um, I can't explain it any other way. Um, it, when I started my recruitment company in the front room of my house, I had moved out already after a couple of months and had some offices, small offices, but there was enough to start hiring people. I, I think this is a, a one thing that's really important for business owners to understand and perhaps uh, even if you're employed by someone else as a leader, uh, is that you are not your job. You are not your company. You are not your car. You are not your house. You are not your beautiful wife or your beautiful husband or girlfriend or boyfriend. Like You are not um, 
that them. So when if you if you were driving a Ferrari, for example, or a Lamborghini, or a nice um, executive saloon, and you have to put it into the workshop for the day, and they give you the rental uh, for the day to drive around in, and it's an old little Fiat two door, four door, um, and then you pull up in front of a crowd of people in front of a restaurant because you got a meeting, and you walk out of step out of that car and you you look at everyone around you as they look at you at, the, at this three thousand dollar fifteen year old car that you've got for the day and and you're already trying to deflect and justify well my my ferrari my lamborghini my mercedes whatever is in the workshop and you're trying you're feeling bad about yourself because you're not in your normal car then you realize that you are your identity and your whether it's your business or whether it's your job is is who you think you are, and you are not your job. You are not your company. You are not your car. You're not your house. And you've got to be able to separate yourself from that. And if you can do that, if you can disconnect yourself from that, then you have access to better decisions. You get access to be able to see what's going on. You can lead properly. It's very, very important. So as the business grows and as as you're a leader and you're building your company, you've got to make sure that that you you know who who you are, that you're not it. And I remember when I started Booktopia, it almost felt like it was like a baby being born. I can remember it taking its first steps. I can remember it when I went to day school and I had to leave it alone for a day. I remember when it started primary school. I remember when it started high school, university, and now where it is today, it's really a, a young a young adult um, uh, in its 20s. It's, it's out on its own. It's making a name for itself. It's starting its career. And I could feel that I was, I was taking care of it like a parent would would empower and, and let a child develop itself. I think that's really – it's tricky to do, but if you can understand that principle, it served me very, very well. So by stepping away, if I can summarize some of what you said then, by stepping away from the things and concentrating more on, on the you, what you can provide and what you can do, then the decisions become – clearer and so for hiring staff for instance um it was a more of a clear decision based on what your baby would need as opposed to oh look i can do all the work correct so what happens is is that um at certain point i'll give you an example so it was about um five years ago now my brother handled the finances because he was pretty good with numbers still is and we had a consulting cfo would come in one or two days three days sometimes a week or one or two days a month, depending what business we were running, where the business was up to. And um, my brother had gone to Europe on business for a couple of weeks. I had to take care of the finances, and I could see how stretched we were at that time. And I made a few things. I did a big sale, and we got some more cash in, and we got ourselves out of it very quickly. And within a six weeks, eight weeks, we were in a better position. I was, I'd kind of put myself into what was going on, and I could, I could react to that. And as I was... Um, I guess, uh, reflecting on what had happened, I really felt that we were ready for a CFO. And I, I spoke to my consulting CFO and I said, I said, Phil, I, I really feel like we're ready to hire a, a proper CFO full-time. And he goes, you know what? I've been thinking about that for the last four weeks as well. And we, we were so lucky. We got a guy who had come out of a company that was uh, turning over $100 million and he was the head of the whole c- commercial division and we were turning over probably around $12 million at that time and we were on MYOB and he, he left that big corporate role to join us and he's seen us through for the last five years and will continue to be with us uh, from 14 through on our way to $100 million or not, we'll be on $90 million this year. And so the uh, it's that knowing 
you're looking at it from a distance and you go, oh, it really feels like we need this kind of person now or we need someone to handle HR. We're, at a ready, we're ready to hire an HR manager. And I remember when we got to that tipping point where all of us were scratching around doing HR-type roles in the leadership team and we were able to hire someone. And we, that, Therefore, the, the business was ready to take that person on. It was, it was it, The organism being the business was knew that that's what it needed. And, and you've got to be able to feel – it's a feeling that you know, that is right. You don't want to do it too early. You don't want to do it too late. With your HR background, of course, you've got that experience with looking at the skills and experience of someone so like the CFO and you could bring them on and you're, you're probably very satisfied with the person you, you took on straight away and, and, and it shows, I guess, in history uh, that they've been with you so long. But over your time, how do you spot the, the leadership characteristics in others? Um, and maybe there's a, sh- a story there that you can share and, and the sorts of actions that you put in place and the results maybe that, that occurred when you found that right person and could develop them? A lot of people have come up through our organization into leadership roles. Um, and and I think we're very proud of that. The way to do it is, is to empower people. So you give them clear goals, what, what their area needs to accomplish, what they've got to do. Uh, give them the people and the resources that they need to get the job done. Listen to them, speak to them. What's What are your issues this week? Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, what, what help do you need from other areas? Um, and to mentor them into uh, being able to have people work underneath them. So I must admit, I don't feel like I've got any strategy or plan. I I, I guess, um, let me share with you, and if, if maybe this might resonate with some of your listeners as well. As a recruiter, I always found it odd that other that many companies would have a job description and they wanted me or somebody to recruit someone who'd been doing exactly what they needed. So maybe it was a computer programmer or a project manager. Have they been a project manager in telecommunications before? Because we're in telecommunications and we need someone who knows telecommunications. Now, if that's what you've done for, for the last three to five years and that's what they were looking for, what sort of career progression is that? Mm. It's like, it's like you just want to – so all, all you're really going to be doing is setting yourself up to pay that person more. But at the end of the day, they're not going to be developing their career. They're not going to be doing anything. So I've always been excited by being able to, as a recruiter in my early years, to bring, pull someone out of another company and put them into a role that they're going to develop their skill. And I, I've brought that into my own business. It's like don't hire anyone where they've been doing exactly the same thing. They're going to get bored. You're just going to have to keep paying them more money. Hire people where you know that you're building a career path. So, And when someone comes to me and resigns, and they may have been with me for some time, it, my reaction is, oh, really? What are you going to be doing next? Mm-hmm. Not like it's an indictment on you. Not like they've, not like they've punished you or or gone against you. It's like so. What happens is people know that if they're leaving here, they're going on to something bigger and better because we just can't offer that to them. And I'm excited because maybe Booktopia has given them the platform to go and get the role. Quite a few people have come through Booktopia and our customer service team who have gone on to publishers. But if they would have gone from a bookshop instead of through to a call center where they're actually using computers and using phone systems and talking to people, which is more of a corporate environment, they could have never taken that leap out of the bookshop into into a publishing environment, but they've been able to do it through us. And that's what they were hoping and dreaming. So you've, you've got to think about their career. Otherwise, it's it, it, what's the point?
point. That's what you wanted. That's what we all wanted. We wanted to develop ourselves. Mm. Otherwise, you're just a mercenary. You're just coming in and go, oh, you've got that experience. Great. We're going to hire you. You're going to do this. I think that's great advice for anybody in, in HR or, or starting out their own business right now. Don't hire someone who's doing exactly what you want them to do now. Look at someone who's got that, that desire to grow into that position but has the basic skills and attributes. Is that right? Like our, our, our chief operating officer, very experienced man. Um, was in the army for 30 years. He was the head of supply. And we needed someone to take care of our new distribution center, which is 10,000 square meter facility. There was conveyors, there was automation. We had never had that before because a year and a half ago, we were still in a place where we were pushing trolleys around and we were all busting at the seams. And we knew that we were going to be hiring someone. And we, he came to me and in the interview process, now, although he started as a contractor because we wanted to, he wanted to check us out and we wanted to know how good he was, which I knew he was good because he was head of supply at the army and took us to the Iraq war up and out in two hours, 1,500 people underneath him. But he said to me, what I'm looking for is a chief operating officer's role. I want to move up into COO. And I thought, this guy's got great organizational skills, his operational skills he understands, but no one would give him that break mm. to move up into a $100 million company where he's the chief operating officer, what's that going to be for his career? And and I was excited about that, and I was excited for him, and I felt that, I mean, he may not have had those skills, but I, we had to test it out. We had to make sure that others also felt that he had that. That's what you've got to do, even at a very senior level, let alone at a at a graduate's level or a school leaver's level. Tony, that, that's a fantastic story, and, and I think it'll resonate with many of our listeners, so absolutely thank you for sharing that. Uh, now, Tony, obviously, when times are tough, our leadership behaviours shine through, and also those of our of our management teams. Can you share a time with us where things weren't all that rosy with Booktopia or a previous organisation, yet you managed to get the team working together towards your particular desired goal? I I um, talk to I do a lot of public speaking, and I one of the main points I do try and. Um, um, share with people is to understand the entrepreneurial mindset. And what that means to me is that when things go awry, when things go get tough or something gets thrown at you out of left field and you weren't expecting it, you've got to be able to keep calm. You've got to be able to say, bring it on. So a couple of things, for example, we had set up our ebook platform with Google. Google had uh, interviewed us. We were selected at one of two organizations that they wanted to go live with in Australia uh, with their ebooks, and this is uh, four or five years ago, and we were happy with what they were offering us in terms of a platform and how we were going to do it. So we committed to it. We put our resources. We built all the software. In fact, what we had accomplished was no one else in the world had done in terms of being able to do multiple orders, being able to order your physical books with your ebooks, and everything. It was a fantastic effort by our uh, development team. So he said, I've got the worst possible news. We're, we're going to be shutting down the international retail program. Uh, you're the only company that's making anything of it. All the others are falling by the wayside. And so we, we just can't support it anymore. And I'm so sorry. And and he got to the conversation and he go, he was really embarrassed. And he said, I said, uh, I said, Mark, the only reason you're telling me this is there's a better solution waiting for us around the corner. And you got, you've got to be able to have that kind of mindset. You've got to be able to say when things don't work out the way that you want, you've got to be able to say bring it on. Uh, it, and you, you're, you keep your emotions uh, 
flat. So rather than riding what I call the roller coaster of emotions of being in business, you kind of flatten out the highs. So don't get, I mean, we, we won the Telstra Business Awards. Uh, we were six times um, in the BRW Fast 100 uh, in a row, the only company ever to do that. If you had parties and celebrated and knocked yourself out and ha- think that you've you've made it, well, you know you haven't because there's another day after today. So mm. you flatten out the highs, but then you also flatten out the lows. And if you were to measure out riding a roller coaster of emotions of running a business, the distance between the high and a very, a very, very high and a very, very low, if you were to measure that distance, is it's you, you're traveling a lot of way. But if you flatten out the top and flatten out the low and you measure that distance, over time, you're traveling uh, less. You, you don't have to expend as much energy. And I think it's a really, really important lesson. If you're going to if you're gonna be able to be in the five, you've got to be able to stand the heat. This, I mean, it's a long expression, but, um, but you, you've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to, say, bring it on, bring on the tough times. There have been other times outside of when something external to us has happened that we could just simply be that where we, when we invested in our new facility, for example, we we spent a few, uh, three or four million dollars on automation and it was pretty tight and we had to manage our suppliers uh, extremely uh, uh, delicately. We didn't have as much cash and we just had to be very, very careful. So there's times when it's internally internal measures. The way that I've always got around that as a salesman, I just focus on what have I got to do to sell more? Mm. What have I got to do to sell more? And the the money coming in will then pay for what we need to do. And that's uh, generally got us out of the bind over all the businesses that we've ever had before. If I could ask you, it's a bit more of a business as opposed to a leadership question, but I guess the same qualities apply. When you wanted to take the company from, and this seems to be some sort of benchmark in business, but from, say, the 5 million to the 10 million mark or the 1 million to the 5 million mark in turnover, what sort of decisions were going on in your head to invest in the business or or to take it to that level? What sort of things did you do to, to take that leap, I suppose? I have a very simple formula. All I've ever done, is look at what did we do last year for the same month and what have I got to do to be 30 to 40% more this year for the same month. That's all I do. So what happens is, it's really interesting from my perspective, is that we, um, we've been able to um, grow organically. So we started Booktopia on a $10 a day budget. We was, our other business at that time was internet marketing. So we were getting people to the top of Google and driving traffic to their websites and our money was coming into our business from all that consulting work. And so Booktopia just simply was 30 to 40% more every single month. So when we were 5 million, for example, to be 30% more, that's going to 6.5 million the next year. And you might go, oh, a million and a half more, that's, uh, that's a good result. Uh, but when you get to like where we are, 50 million now, or actually we just bought Angus and Robertson in the last two months. So we're now... Um, with them combined up to 70 million and we're aiming for 90 million this year is that it's 30% more on 70 million is another 20 million. So it's, it's still 30% more, but it's, it's a much bigger number in terms of the, the contribution to sales. So, um, that's all I've done. And the reason why it's worked in books, I think, because it's quite seasonal. Christmas is Christmas. Um, the, the education, the school year, the university year is in the same months. 
So April is a bit low, so therefore don't beat yourself up because April was is low, much lower than March and Feb and February because of the education, uni, and schools. So, but how were we compared to last April? And and therefore we've done it that way. And so in terms of investment, sales drive sell more so you can hire more people, sell more so you can buy more stock and hold more stock, sell more so you can invest in software and and uh, infrastructure automation. That's been our um, our plan. So everything, all of our growth has come to get from ten dollars where. Uh, for the investment per day in the beginning, eleven and a half years ago, and taking three days to sell the first book, and doing two thousand dollars in the first month, that's our business has grown from selling more product. We have not had any external investment into our company to take the business to another level. So our organic growth has served us very well because what's happened is that. Our team has got used to us growing. Oh, we've got more people. Oh, we're we're shipping out more product. Oh, we're 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 holding more stock. So, the the team has, I guess, got into this cadence, this rhythm of, yes, we're bigger than we were the year before. So therefore, it doesn't like if you shot if you tripled in a year or doubled in a year and then you're flat and and you're bouncing all over the place. This this steady organic constant organic growth has served us very well. And if I had known that in the beginning, I think that's one of the messages I would have been uh, sharing with myself in terms of what should I, you know, what should I be paying attention to? The other thing that's interesting is that we bought Angus and Robertson uh, in the last two months, as I said, they went under, as you know, with borders uh, in 2011, 2000, beginning of 2012, they were bought by Penguin, the publishers, and they're in publishing, so they decided to get out of retail, so we bought it off them. And they'd spent a lot of money over the last few years once they bought that business out of the, the ashes of the, the Borders and Angus and Robertson business and spent millions on it. And it was like throwing rocket fuel um, um, uh, jets on the side of the business to try and get it up and out of the atmosphere. So our slow organic growth in one of those big silver... But, uh, hot air balloons that can go out of the atmosphere into the outer space versus their rocket fuel. They, our organic growth meant that we were still growing as fast as them as the air got thinner and thinner because they've been, been in business for a long time and they were trying to do catch-up. And it's just interesting when you when you can commit yourself to organic growth versus thinking I've got to throw a lot of money at this I've got to invest I've got to I've got to try this advertising now that didn't work let's hire more people Let, let's try let's throw money at this let's throw money at that um we'll make money on the second sale instead of the first sale a lot of cash gets burnt and and a fantastic lesson in terms of if you're looking to build a sustainable business rather than uh, trying to get up and out and and grab market shares as fast as you can um, I, I wouldn't have known that had I not made that acquisition, but it's been I'm privy to it now. So we have a uh, a market in Australia, of course, and that market is a finite market. So how does your plan for thirty percent growth extend beyond the Australian market? Look, okay. uh, uh, there's plenty of growth within the Australian market. <clears throat> Unfortunately, bookstores, some bookstores are closing down. Although I must admit, there's been a bit of a resurgence, which is fantastic news mm. um, for us. Um, our growth has been has somewhat to do with people buying online instead of buying uh, within a retail environment. So people are, every day, more and more people buying online in Australia. We have expanded out into New Zealand 
and we're just looking at uh, some Asian countries and into the UK at the moment. We've also added a lot of other lines, so it wasn't, it's not just books. So we now have been selling DVDs for a few years. We sell calendars. We sell stationery now. We sell games and puzzles. And what I'm looking at is adding... Um, product that's one deviation away from books. Mm. Um, I think it's a, an important lesson was uh, when we hit about 5 million, there was a bunch of other online bookstores that were also at 5 million. And what they did is that so one of them got into baby wear, another, another one got into travel, someone else got into all these. And so what they were doing is they, they thought, hey, I've got a $5 million online bookstore. Let's see if I can get a $5 million other online store. And you've got to double your energy in both. So what I said to the guys, let's go from 5 million to 10 million, 10 to 20, 20 to 40. Because if we can be as big as we can in books and then we just bolt on DVDs, we've, we've had over 2 million Australians buy from us. So when we add I don't know, calendars, as we've done this year, the calendars are just going out the door because it's a deviation away from books. Um, a couple of months ago, we bought a different business. It was a uh, it was a camera and optics business. They're mm. called Dirt Cheap Cameras. We'll be changing the name to DC Cameras and Optics, but they're still dirtcheapcameras.com.au. Two deviations away from books. So there's no logical connection for a, a Booktopia customer to go, oh, yeah, I'll just go into my, that, their camera store. Mm. So there's a there's a now the, the camera business on its own, and we're just working on on building that and building, integrating that into our business. So uh, growth through acquisitions, growth through other lines of product uh, and natural continued organic growth that we have. So if you could go back in time, let's say, I mean, we, we've covered now a fantastic 11 years worth of growth, but if you could go back maybe more than 11 years and see yourself as a brand new leader, what would you say to yourself? What lesson would you give yourself then that you didn't know then that you know now? Look, I, I mean, I mentioned one point before, but I think for me, if you've got a clear vision, people will believe in you and then they will want to come on board. So the clearer you are, are about where you want to go, the easier it is for other people to to be able to join you um, enroll in what you want to do. And I think most people would probably understand that. However, um, for yourself and for as yourself as a leader, um, I use this um, metaphor or analogy um, to keep me clear. If you were in a pitch black room where you couldn't even see the hand in front of your face, you need to know that if there was a line you were supposed to take under your feet and you're walking towards your destination, you've got to know in your heart whether you're on track or off track. And you've got to have that faith within yourself. That's that's an internal um, measuring system that you've got to really be in touch with. You just have to have that faith that you're on track and that you've got you got the trust in yourself because that comes through to your people and then that comes through to your customers etc. And I think that's, that's really, really important. Fantastic. Who are your role models, Tony? I mean, you've been around a while and you've done a lot yourself, but do you have any people that you perhaps look up to or, or you've learnt from over the, over the years? Um, not particularly. What I've done is I remember uh, when I, I think the company, I remember when the, the company was $8 million turnover. So I don't know, several years ago now. And now, about 2000 and 
2009, I think it was. And I joined an organization called the CEO Institute. There's plenty of these kind of organizations around. I happened to join this one. And I was put into a syndicate, a group of about 15 CEOs. And we would meet every month for four hours. And you talk about your business. It's a it's a closed environment, so you could share what's going on without it knowing knowing that it's not going to go out of that room. Um, there's there was, and I, I convinced them that I needed to be in the. In, there was different levels, under ten million dollars, ten to a hundred million dollar companies, and then a hundred million dollar plus. So I convinced them that we were growing, and we were almost to ten million. So they put me in the ten to a hundred million dollar because I I wanted to be with where I wanted to be. And what I did when I was there, I just observed what a CEO, how a CEO would talk, how a CEO would organize their day, how a CEO would, what they would pay attention to. So I just paid attention to what other CEOs would do. And I think um, leadership is the same. So, or public speaking is the same. So if you look at some of the great orators, how do they speak? How how do they command attention? What words do they use? How do they, what's their stature like? That, that's, you've got to model yourself on, on these kind of people because they're, they're kind of expressing what it is to have those qualities. So I kind of, I guess I've done a bit of a, a collage of, of leaders. There's not one person, I mean, you might read, uh, a story about Dick Smith. You might hear something about Richard Branson. You might hear about Jack Welsh. All these great leaders, but you're not them. So mm-hmm. the, what 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 do they do that uh, resonates with you? And then you got to somehow bring that into into your system. I have a um, I have a little um, a little saying. The word intuition. Uh, in, intuition um, is that is that uh, by definition, is that gut feeling about something. But if you were to break the word down into intuition, intuition, in training, or you're in a course, so what you do is you take your life experience and you, you take it and you put it in your stomach, you put it in your gut. So when something happens, you've got gut feeling about something. So you're in training. Everything is about being in training, intuition. And and your intuition is actually based on all your life experiences that you do, that you bring to your to your day, to your to your business, to your decisions, to the people that you work with. And I think that's important as well. It's interesting. I've learned a lot from just listening to you this morning, actually, Tony, because uh, I was uh, listening to a podcast from John Lee Dumas recently. He's a, a US uh, podcaster who who runs the Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, and in a recent interview, he was talking about how the majority of entrepreneurs have some level of manic depressive <laughs> attributes. In other words, they they, they feel the uh, the difficulties harder than other people would feel them sometimes because it's their business and, and they experience the highs higher than others because it's their successes. And and yet when I'm talking to you, you're talking about leveling it out and leveling out the, the base, the, the lows and leveling out the highs so that you're more consistent. And that's something I've uh, I've never heard before. Uh, so that absolutely, if our listeners get something from this, I hope it's at, at least that. But having that level approach to running a business and being an entrepreneur and being, being a leader, I think that's uh, one fantastic takeaway I've had from you personally. So thank you for that. Finally, though, I just I'd be interested to know how often you reflect on your own leadership and how that affects your behaviour. You know, the following day, the following month. 
I probably don't do it enough. I I liken it. People say that when I give them a tour of our facility, and you've got to understand this is a this is a leading edge facility in Australia when it comes to retailing and online retailing, and what we've accomplished. I mean, we've gone from nothing to in eleven odd years to almost a hundred million dollar organization. And they walk through and they go, "Oh, you must be so proud. You must be." They all say it. Wow, how proud you must be. And I, I say to them, it's like this. Imagine being a racing car driver in a Formula One race, and you've just done the best maneuver of your life. You've taken, you've overtaken Lewis Hamilton around us. It was just perfect. The amount of time that you actually get to reflect on that maneuver, even though you knew at the time, is minuscule because you're still racing down the track. And there's a lot of that in, I guess, what we're doing in terms of feeling like there's not that there's no time to, to have pride or not that there's time to reflect, but but it's about um, it's about the fact that we're a growing business and you've got to keep your eye on on the dashboard and your eye on the road and your hands on the wheel. It's all happening extremely fast. But I guess the most of the time when I do reflect is more when I embarrass myself or I do something that. I go, geez, I won't be doing that again. But you've got to be able to let that go. Like mm. you could just be kicking yourself for ages. Oh my God, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And especially as if I'm going to be the the CEO of a of a listed company, which is one of our one of our options over the next year or so is to list on the Australian Stock Exchange. Who do I have to be to be the CEO of a listed company? How do I have to change? How how better organized should I be? Should my desk be completely organized and clear? Should my should my inbox be empty? Uh, do I need um, do I need to have um, three assistants uh, to be supporting my life? Uh, it, it's like what, who do I have to be to be that to be that that person do i have to change much do i need to uh, am i am i basically there do i need to consider the way that i communicate do i need to do i need to lose a little weight for example uh, these are all the things that go through my mind so i think in terms of reflection it's it's around that it's just around who what 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 do i think is missing mm. um, i don't have coaches i don't have um mentors um, who are there, who I'm going to all the time and asking about this and asking about that. Perhaps I could or I should. Uh, I'd probably get something out of it. I just haven't. Um, I do have a fantastic leadership team around me, so they're giving me feedback all the time. And, uh, of course, I'm in business with my family, and, and although we've never had an argument uh, in 17 years, they they do uh, give me feedback when required if I'm off the mark. It's Interesting to hear that because in a lot of cases, we assume that we have to learn from someone who's been around longer or been more successful than us, but it's not the case. We can always learn from people who, uh, who've been around for a lot less time or just have a different opinion. I think if you've got a very specific goal, so for us, it's like we're going to do this many sales um, and you've got a destination. It's like if I said to you, um, come on, let's, let's, let's travel east. Um, I'm in Sydney, let's jump in a yacht and let's head east. Well, you could go from Alaska to Antarctica. I mean, you, got, you could go anywhere. But if I, if I said to you, let's, let's go to New Zealand, well, we've narrowed it down. It's just across the Tasman. We're not going to America. We're not going to Chile. And we're going to New Zealand. And if I said to you, okay, instead of New Zealand, actually, we're going to Auckland. Or we're going to the marina, at, 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 that's the big marina in the Auckland uh, harbour. 
then we've got a very specific destination. I think if you've got a very specific destination, everyone knows what that is, then managing and leading becomes a lot simpler. Uh, I've, I've found it um, in my experience. Tony, it's unfortunate we've come to the end of our time because I could seriously talk to you for another half an hour. But uh, Tony, firstly, it's been a pleasure spending this time with you. And if our listeners want to find out more about Booktopia, uh, any other recent project or yourself, how can they do that? Oh, look, um, there's plenty of people who uh, contact me via LinkedIn, so they're most welcome to do a search on LinkedIn and send me a message. Uh, but going to booktopia.com.au, go to Angus. Uh, robertson.com.au we also own that business now dirtcheapcameras.com.au and have a look at what we're accomplishing uh, there's videos on YouTube uh, in a lot more detail as well they're probably um, a few years old but there's there's a fair amount of content out there but I'm always um, happy and I'm always excited to hear oh some I heard you on a podcast and I, I was able to do this people are contacting me I said you, you gave me this message and and I was able to make some changes here and I, I was able to do this so there was a guy in Tasmania who did something with a lighting business and he contacted me a few years later he said you just said something to me and I just changed everything and and this is where we are today and I was just so proud of him so amazed and so so inspired by what he had accomplished again thank you for your time Tony and um We'll see you on the leadership circuit, I'm sure. Thanks.